0: So, so there's something between being clueless and figuring it out. And, you know, we don't like it when someone says, I have you all figured out. But we don't like it when people are clueless. And I think that's, I'm saying that in relationship to koans, that we want to get, be somewhere in between those two places. Because we're missing something when we have it figured out. Then it becomes concrete and fixed and... And then if we're clueless, of course, or, or the obvious, um, that's not it either. And also, I was thinking as I was sitting how Peg would always keep coming back to it's about a relationship. So we're in the middle, but we're at a good place, I think, since um, a couple of you <coughs> haven't been reading this one commentary because what it does is it it, uh, states the koan again. So let's read this, and then we're going to take 10 minutes
1: to write or do whatever you want to reflect on the koan, okay?
0: And let's read in alphabetical order, one paragraph at a time. Oh, we're only going to read
1: um, three paragraphs before we take our 10 minutes. So
0: uh, Heather, I think you're first. Now back to our koan. Now back
2: to our koan. This
3: is the most famous in the Lukakan, Some commentaries on it have voiced alarm by moralists about the killing of a cat. But if the cone is truly understood
2: in its deepest sense, we transcend all moral and ethical considerations. When people hear that, they may ask, well, does this mean that Zen is above morality?
3: The answer is yes, it is. But morality is not below Zen. Zen transcends morality, but it doesn't exclude it. Morality by itself is confining. It's kind of a brace, a brace of right and wrong. And of course, Zen wants to take us beyond beyond that. How many, did you want me to read
2: multiple paragraphs?
0: No, I'll do the next one. The koan begins, once the monks of the Eastern Hall and the Western Hall were arguing about a cat. What may have happened was that Nanshin and, and Joshu had gone to town and as often happens when the Roshi's away, well, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And then in walks his cat. Although the koan doesn't tell us what they were arguing about, it could have been, does a cat too have Buddha nature? So there's a famous koan about a dog having Buddha nature. <coughs> we also saw the other night a a uh, recording of how the monks learned, and they learned by arguing. And uh, Nelda said she observed that. Where was it, in China or India?
2: In Lhasa, Tibet. They're not arguing as you think of argumentative. Debating. Debating, yes.
0: All of the koan doesn't tell us what they're arguing about. It could have been, does cat too have Buddha nature? And one group is saying it has, while the other says, no, it hasn't. And as this dispute is going on, Nanjing comes upon up, up the scene. <clears throat> we can only imagine how bad he feels when he sees the monks, not only idly arguing about the cat, but displaying no real understanding. And remember, everything you read in these commentaries is a take, not necessarily uh it's someone's each of us, uh, just like each of us will respond to each other in a different way, each of us might have our own take, and we and um, that's the beauty of it, how rich it is, how many views there is. So, N- Nelda, you started to say something.
2: Oh, I just get always get I'm so visual, I always get a visual, I think of it as one of. Many possible facets of a prism.
0: Wait, say that again. Many possible
2: facets of a prism.
0: Oh yes.
1: Oh wow.
0: Or, or someone talked the other day um about a beach ball, and you're standing on a different color on the ball, and that seems to be the whole world. But you might be on the blue shape or the red or the yellow or the green and then um okay so next will be um i think melissa
1: i think so first can i say Nelda? thank you i i really like that imagery that thank you so he grabs the cat probably with mixed emotions of disappointment in the monks and compassion for them and he says you monks if you can say a word of sin I will spare the cat otherwise I will kill it and he's holding the cat by the neck and the cat is going yow meow you can just see him there fiercely holding that cat but nobody can answer so suddenly he picks up a knife and just hissawak cuts the cat oh yes
0: i think we have to read uh, a little bit more So, uh we have Milan.
4: How do you pronounce that word
1: Agast. Agast.
4: Thank you. Aghast, no one seems to understand what what's going on. The first vital point of the con is what is a word of sin? if there is there a word of sin? we read that sin is a transmission beyond words and letters. Please do not misunderstand. This does not mean that Zen is against words and letters. If it were, there could be no Mumon Khan, no Blue Cliff Record, and all of the masters could have had to be silent. What Zen wants are live words.
0: So the, 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 the Mumon Khan and the Blue Cliff Record and the book we're working from, which is the Book of Serenity, are all collections of koans. And now, um, Melissa. No, we had Melissa. Uh, Nancy.
3: Uh, Suppose you had been there. What would you have said? What would have been a live word?
0: That's a nice distinction, isn't it, about live Mm -hmm. words? Okay. In the evening. I think Nelda.
2: In the evening, when Joshu comes back, Nansen puts the question to him. Now, needless to say, Nansen knows Joshu's capabilities, and he enacts this little play, this tableau with him, and for more reasons than one. Of course, one of course is to let him know what has been going on that afternoon how the monks failed to understand his teaching. And he says, what would you um, have done? Had you been there? Joshu doesn't utter a word, but just takes off his sandal, puts it on his head and walks out. Nonsense says admiringly, if you had been there, the cat would have been saved. Now, how would Joshu have saved the cat?
0: Okay, so let's take 10 minutes.
1: And uh, see where you go with this. Okay. So, what we
0: do now is we share any thoughts we've had. Melissa, I can't remember. Were you here last time?
1: I I unfortunately was not. I had to work.
0: Okay. Um, do you want to start?
1: Okay, I can do that. Um I'm trying to get well, I guess it won't happen. Um, let me just get up to the top. Ouch. Okay, so these are rather wandering thoughts. Just um and since I've missed the last two, I may have missed a point somewhere. No, I hope um, you did. two things come to mind when the monk walking out with his uh, sandal on his head is told that he would have saved the cat first was the absurdity of his actions the point that was trying to be made were both sides of the argument absurd or irrelevant to the topic at hand was the point really whether the cat had Buddha nature or was the point to discuss, not argue, the various ideas beyond the question? For example, if the cat does have Buddha nature, do all things or all beings have Buddha nature? And if the answer is yes, what does that mean in how we choose to live? And if the answer is no, the same question. Was the monk walking out with the shoe on his head to show the absurdity of debating that question? Or would any act have saved the cat? Would any response have saved the cat? Was it the act of not interacting that killed the cat? Was there no right or wrong way to react? Is the Zen way to react and by reacting to learn more? And if the reaction was what? the reactor interpreted Buddha nature to be, was that enough? Is there a time to react and to stop debating? Isn't teaching and learning more important than being right?
0: Who'd like to go next? I will go next. How come my story was so different than PK's? That's Philip Kaplow who wrote this. I thought they were trying to get rid of mice and he suggested it was a Zen debate. It seems that a Zen debate about the cat having Buddha nature would be better than just wanting the cat for mousing. But why did I go to one place and PK went to another? And of course, There are hundreds of stories possible, but somehow the monks were caught with their pants down, but this isn't an edict about arguing. That's how we learn. Why couldn't the monks say anything, especially when the stakes are so high? Were they so off in the clouds that they couldn't connect to to life? Is that about live words? And there's no drawing.
2: Oh my. What will we do without a Kim drawing on a I
1: don't day? know. Well, it makes me very sad.
0: <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> I'll go
2: next. Okay. And this may ha- or may not have anything to do with the colon. <laughs> I saw living words today. I see it often, have seen it often at Upamada. living words in action, as we bowed together this morning for work practice, as we tenderly wiped a window as if it were the face of a child, or when we're holding our chant book or carrying our cushion gently with presence, as with a newborn, or, Mm. When my friend Kim lifts me up, not with a word, but with a smile, when I fall flat on my face in the mud with my practice, living words without words, brings to mind the Xin Xin Ming, in, in a little open paren, I always think about the Xin Xin Ming. Not words spoken with sound, but practice that holds without a hair's breadth of distinction. And then I, there's a, I just started, I didn't write the whole thing. I'll find it in just a moment. Don't keep. Oh, it's, it's the, it's a little paragraph in the Xin, Xin Ming about, um, when you hold the world with a hair's breadth of distinction, here it is. Let go of law. Lo- when you cling to a hair's breadth of distinction, heaven and earth are set apart. Um don't keep holding. No debating, no cat, no Buddha nature, no words. I don't that just came up. Even in those words, I find distinction. It's just. And by the way, do you know what is precious about my not knowing? That somewhere, somehow, I know it rests deeply and peacefully in a bed of knowing. Knowing what? I don't know. That's what I wrote.
4: Do you have a drawing? (laughs) I only do
2: stick people.
1: (laughs) Here, here, I'll
2: do a drawing. Here, I'll do a drawing. It'll be really quick.
0: Oh, beautiful.
2: (laughs) It's a smiley face. That's the best I can do.
4: (laughs) Thank you. Uh
2: Uh-oh. Oh what! I didn't see you guys for a moment, but I found the right button.
0: Oh okay, and um, uh, Nancy.
3: This um, first of all, Kim, thank you for the lovely invitation that uh, hooked me immediately. <laughs> got me coming and um, thank you for letting me join you. Mm. This struck me, and as far as being clueless or I've got it all figured out, I'm very famous for going somewhere else entirely different. <laughs> so, um, I, I this struck me as being yet another invective to speak up at a time when we just are all cautioned to be very careful Don't get involved. Don't say anything. Agree with everyone. It struck me as something I'm struggling a lot with. Sometimes you've got to speak up. And I think now is one of those times Um, may not be particularly smart or or safe, but sometimes you've got to speak up. And that's what I thought. The problem was with the monks, they were afraid, reluctant to speak at all. Um, as far as the shoes on the head, I thought of that as a distraction to get them to break their silence. Can I tell a little story? Am I allowed to do that? Of course. So I worked as a uh, substitute teacher after a stint in high tech. Needed a break, and as a sub, I was sent to the cafeteria to do lunch duty. And in the middle of lunch, duty, a fight broke out and I looked around. And I was the only adult in the room. So I had to go over and break up a fight. Yay. And I went over and I looked around and all I could find was one of those ginormous rolly trash cans. And I rolled it and rolled it, it aimed it right at the two guys. And they looked at it rumbling at them and they got confused and distracted and stopped fighting. <laughs> that's, that's what I remember. Uh, that's what I think of when, when the guy put the shoes on his head. Um, you know, get it together. Start communicating. Stop fighting, start communicating. And I have no drawing either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's beautiful. I'm, I'm watching a um, um, a movie about a woman who was who was gang-raped, and she won't speak up. And now she's a reporter. And finally, I think, I'm in the middle of the movie, but I think she's going to now write about something. But it's completely um, shaped her life, as you can imagine.
3: Holding it in?
0: Holding it in, yes. And she's she's about to be married, but she can't at all be with a with her this man because you know she has so much uh conflict and pain around what happened to her and also how nobody believes her so anyway but i think that's that's really important about speaking up and again you know what's so neat about these koans is is um latching on to that is problematic also. Like, is this about speaking up? You know, that's what it, it it says at a particular time to us, but maybe that's not, um, maybe that's just, just like if you looked out the window, you would see something. And if I looked out the window, I would see something. And all, all that means is, that's what we're seeing right now. Melen?
4: I I was very lazy, so I just asked um, AI, what is a live word of Zen? And it says, a live word of Zen typically refers to a teaching or principle of Zen Buddhism that is not just a theoretical concept, but a living experiential truth that can be directly realized through practice and direct experience. In Zen, understanding is not solely intellectual, but is meant to be a direct embodied realization of the nature of reality. For example, a live word of sin might be a simple yet profound teaching like just this, or ordinary mind is the way. These statements are not meant to be abstract ideas, but pointers to the immediate unfiltered experience of reality. They are meant to be life and directly apprehended. Zen often employs these life words as a mean to provoke insights and lead practitioners towards awakening to their true nature. However, it is important to note that Zen teachings are often intentionally enigmatic and paradoxical, inviting practitioners to transcend conceptual thinking and directly perceive reality as it is these direct experiences is considered the heart of self-practice
0: that's beautiful ai
4: so smart ai is so smart <laughs> <laughs> yeah it took a while for it to make the answer so i like it
0: and it connects it connects with what uh nelda was quoting from the Sing ching ming doesn't it you want to quote it again do you have it there
2: I'll find it later, I'm sorry. Okay. That's you.
1: all right. Oh.
0: Can, are you familiar with this Koan? You're muted, I think.
5: I am vaguely familiar with it.
0: The monks are arguing. He says mm-hmm. he can't say a word of Zen. I'm going to cut the cat in half. They're silent. He cuts the word, then Joshu um the next day says what would you have done and he and he takes off his sandals and puts them on his head mm-hmm. and then mansion says if you had been there the cat would have been saved and um and so on anything comes to mind
5: no it doesn't i it's I I think I heard it interpreted differently, but I can't remember what it was.
0: <laughs> OK, we're we're going to read this and then and then something else. So we're here. And who's reading next? <coughs> uh, I know Nelda read, I think we're back to uh, me. We must also see that this cat is not just a cat. It was a cat up until the time that Nansen killed it. In killing it, he gave it life. Zen master Dogen commented on this koan. He didn't cut the cat in two, he cut it in one. Sometimes this is translated, in cutting the cat, there was no cut. Yeah. And then um, Kathy,
5: oh, yeah. Kathy,
0: you should have read next. OK, but why don't you read Kathy?
5: Uh, how did Nancy bring the cat to life? We might ask if that cat is alive. Where is it right now? That cat is not only a cat. It's Esau the dog. It's the red bug tree flowering in the backyard. It's moo. When you have to have a live moo, that dead cat come becomes a live moo. <laughs> moo. Um, no different from meow, meow, meow. If it's a dead moo, it's a dead cat. I'll stop there.
0: <laughs> okay, and um, Melissa. Then in the evening,
1: I'm having problems getting my screen to come back to full size, so I can see um, the the. It, it says you're viewing Kim's uh, s- screen, but that's covering up where, well, wait, maybe maybe I fixed it. Ah! Oh, yay! Okay, okay. I was panicking there. Now, where are, I'm sorry, I don't know. Then, in the, evening. The then in
0: the evening, Joshu ah,
1: comes back. there we back. go. Got it. Then in the evening, Joshu comes back. This koan can be seen as a drama, a drama in two acts. The first act is killing of the cat. The second act, when Joshua enters and walks off, he is not only bringing the cat alive, as Nansen had done in his way. In that act of putting the shoe on his head, he was bringing all those dead monks alive. And we also must see that Act 1 and Act 2 go together. What is necessary for the first act to acquire ultimate meaning is Joshua's act. We could say it's like a drama of Jesus being betrayed by Judas. Without having been betrayed by Judas, Jesus never could have been resurrected. And the drama of Christ, as I understand it, is his death and resurrection. The two go together. Actually, you can think of this koan in those same terms: the great death and the great resurrection, or the great revival.
0: I had this writing teacher who who would say, "Listen to everyone and believe no one," and I, I always loved that. You know, and it, this this all like is is really neat. And then and then maybe it. It's all off, but he's a pretty smart guy. This Phil Cadwell, the guy who wrote it, so maybe it's not all off. I don't know.
1: Hmm.
0: And then, uh, so. Uh, Milan.
4: The question then for you is: Where is resurrection coming from? What is the great revival of Yeshu's? Why is he just putting a sandal on his head? Why does Nansen say admiringly, if you had been there, the cat could have been saved?
0: And uh, oh. now, Adan, yes, go on.
2: Melinda, do you want to read the next one? Yours was so short.
4: Hmm. Okay. Every Monday, And especially this mando is really a dharma duel. Nansen lays down the gen, no.
0: Gauntlet? Gauntlet.
4: And Joshua picks up the challenge immediately. And notice how adroitly Joshua dodges Nansen's thrust, which was the same kind of thrust that he presented to the monks. But Joshua is too nimble. He sidesteps it, sidesteps in. In what sense does he do so by putting his sandals on his head?
2: Consider for a moment what it means to put a sandal on your head. Sane people don't do that. Ordinary people don't. What then is Joshu indicating by this act? In San it is said that the highest truth is beyond knowing. How so? Because our true nature is free from all knowing and not knowing. It surpasses all concepts of right and wrong, of this and that. Cat has Buddha nature. Cat doesn't have Buddha nature. Dog has the Buddha nature. Dog doesn't have the Buddha nature. Is the enlightened person subject to the law of cause and effect, or is he not? In every one of these ideas, we are obscuring the wholeness of our true nature. Nonsense with one stroke cuts out all of these delusions of the monks. Like a surgeon with a scalpel, he cuts out the cancer of this contentious mind.
0: You know, at the end of a Sunday service, we we have this line, life and death are of supreme importance. Don't waste this life. Okay, so that Nelda, and then uh, we're back to Kathy.
5: Um, Is it and, and then, is that where I am? Yes. I I lost my screen for a while. (laughs) I had to find it again. And then we had Joshua who heals the wound completely. We see here what a great monk he is. People without understanding may see all this as a kind of a silly play involving the unnecessary killing of a cat. Blythe, who was an anti the this whatever would that is
0: that's someone who doesn't believe in cutting up animals for experimenting
5: thank you um carried on at length about nansen and the killing of the cat he said something like nansen is a man who loved his teaching more than cats but that would be taking the text literally To be sure, there was no actual physical killing of the cat. And that's what I was thinking, that um, if Moo is what I understand emptiness, then the story doesn't hold and the cat wasn't killed.
0: Okay, and then I think um, Jim's next. Now we come to Muman's commentary. He says, just say, what is the real meaning of Joshu putting his sandal on the head, on his head? (coughs) If you can give a turning word on this point, you will see that Nanshan's action was not in vain, but if not, beware.
5: Well, it gets us to question.
0: Just imagine, here is how one of the greatest masters of Zen, Doshu, proved himself as one. The whole meaning of Zen is demonstrated in this one simple act of taking a sandal and putting it onto your head. No wonder that was what, when the first Catholic monks came to Japan in the 14th or 15th century and became encountering some of the Zen monks, they were utterly bewildered. No wonder, they wrote back about how crazy and incomprehensible <laughs> these books <things> were. <laughs> Kathy's laughing, and her her teacher is uh, Father Kennedy, who is an incredible Catholic Jesuit. Then Jesuit yeah. is it just a Catholic?
5: No, he's he's a Catholic priest. He's a uh, Jesuit order.
0: But at a certain time, Jesuits were sent to Japan to learn about meditation, yeah. right? Yes. And, and he's one of the few entrusted teachers who can actually entrust others. I th- I think there's only 3 in the country. And and I I did a, a day with him or a weekend. No, I think it was just a day in San Antonio and he's just phenomenal. And Kathy's followed him around to Ireland, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
5: He's 90, so oh. I want to stay close for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a there's a book now called uh, Catholicism and Zen yeah. by McLean, and um, it's quite good about the history.
0: Oh, OK. A it, was, it was this early 14th or 15th century
2: think there's also a book I haven't bought it yet, but I'm I, the title's intriguing. Jesus was really a Buddhist.
5: Mm, I heard about it. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And I had a, a great uncle who was a rabbi, and then he started studying the world religions and traveling around the world. And he, one of the reasons, according to my grandmother, who was his sister, that he gave up being a rabbi was he found so much that all the religions were basically saying the same thing.
5: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Also, I think he wanted to be a novelist, and his novels didn't do as well as his book about religion. So (laughs) anyway, let's go on. So who read last, Kathy? No, who read? Kathy, right? I think I did. Okay. So I guess it is me. Uh, Those who are really practicing Zen and get beyond words and concepts can see the profound truth that emerges here. If you can give a turning word on this point, you will see that Nansen's action was not in vain. But if not, beware. Turning words are words that open the mind. What would have been your words had you been there? What would you have said? Of course, you wouldn't have, have to say anything, as we saw with Joshua. Yet there, <coughs> there are words that could have worked, but if not, beware. In other words, if you do not grasp the meaning here, then your understanding is incomplete and you are vulnerable. If you do not see the, into this vital drama of the great death and the great revival of the sword that slid and the sword that revives, then you need to work harder is what Mumon is saying. Nelda, do you still take the view that they did say a lot by being silent? You're saying yes?
2: Yes, I do. And and one of the main reasons that I do is my own construct so forgive me for having many of those, and that is that whenever I need a turning word and a guiding light in this practice, the first thing that comes to me always is support life. How do I support life? Um, and so I think that their silence could also been shock and horror, I mean, I I, I never sensed initially in this koan, and thank you, Kim, and, and I thank the writer for bringing it up, that this was a metaphorical cat, perhaps, that no cat really died, that what died was the concept of a separate cat, perhaps, or a cat with or without Buddha nature. But I do, back to the monks, I mean, just the horror of, of their of their very wise and compassionate and life-supporting teachers saying, I will kill this cat, would have shocked them wordless. And I think that shock is a very loud word.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so we have uh, Melissa.
1: Yeah. Then we come to Monan's verse. Had Jasu had Josu only been there, He would have taken charge he would have snatched away the sword and nansen would have begged for his life of course this is high praise for just for jasu we saw what jasu did and there were other things that could have been done but he would have seized the initiative he would not have sat on his hands the way the monks did and nansen would have begged for his life what does that
0: mean why don't you read a second
1: paragraph? Okay. Nansen already was a highly developed master. Would he have gone, gotten down on his knees and begged Jasu, please don't turn your knife on me? Obviously no. It means that Nansen would have been put on the defensive, forced to make another thrust. They say in Dueling that the first clear thrust is the most important. This establishes the initiative for Jasu to have part have par- parried that first thrust would have compelled Nan Sen to affirm his zen to present our true nature in all of our actions is part of zen training <laughs>
0: And so after Melissa is Milan.
4: There are no other interpretations of this. Here's a simple one. Had Joshua been there, the whole drama could have taken a different turn. Had Joshua been there, the whole drama could have taken a different turn. Undoubtedly, it could have. You want to read on this con goes to the heart of session
0: that's like our intensives like a what our intensives retreat oh. okay. is a that's a japanese word
4: okay thank you this con goes to the heart of session about staying wholeheartedly engaged engaged in the mewing and the questioning, whether you have seen into Mu or not, there is the affirmation of your true nature. And from gras- grasping the khan comes the ability to demonstrate the khan. If we are not fully absorbed in the khan, we are not fully absorbed in whatever we are doing. Jima, you must be absolutely one with Mu. When there isn't room for so much as a hair between you and Mu or counting or following the breath or Shikantasa. If you are absolutely one with the sitting without a thought in your head, and yet you are not asleep or daydreaming, this is the affirmation of the fundamental Buddha mind.
0: And uh, Nancy.
3: It is that state that sparks sudden perception. The perception may be shallow, it may be deep. It takes place suddenly. One is doing something or an unexpected noise is heard or there is some kind of incursion on the part of the teacher verbally or physically and suddenly there is a turning of the mind. But that movement cannot take place until the clinging mind, the mind of self-concern has been exhausted when it has been released and there is mu samadhi
0: Sam- samadhi
3: samadhi thank you then there comes true awakening and the more i sit here tonight the more i think it's that rolling garbage can
0: uh-huh. <laughs> yeah and it's also doing something isn't it
3: but something that was not something you conceived of it just kind of came to you just like that paragraph says it came to you Suddenly, and there was a turning of the mind. I, I people always say to me, "That was really smart, and I say, "I can't take credit. I'm not that smart. Yeah. <laughs> Something that happened, and it works. Mm-hmm. I'm sticking with the rolling garbage can.
2: So mm-hmm. came um, i I had wanted to share this during an inappropriate time at sewing practice on Sunday. Um, but I don't know if we have time to share it now. No,
0: go on, go on.
2: Um, some of you know that, that I've spoken to this, that long ago I had an, an amazing experience um, that you can't reach for. It just happens. And it was a, a point at which I was meditating and got to the point where body and mind, my my. True body and my true mind and all that went with just fell away and everything around fell away. And um what I was sitting in was what I've called, although I have no idea uh what it truly means, but I call it this because it's the closest I can conceptualize it. Was what is it called, Kim? Endra's net.
0: Oh, Endera's net.
2: I think it's Andra's net. Endra's net Net is where there is no time-space continuum and that is exactly what the experience was. It wasn't an experience of of having a body. It was an experience of of the presence of, of my energy with all energy in all people, places, things past, present and future. That's the best I can describe it. So... Fast forward, I don't ever try to attain that again and I always uh, wonder when I'll have that experience again. So I was in a Zazen um, at, uh, I guess I was at home, it doesn't matter where I was. And I sat with that, with awareness of my body and awareness of my mind and all of that until they could fall away. And this time, the experience was different, beautifully different, and in two ways. Because the experience was one of being conjoined. You've seen conjoined twins who share a heart or organs, or there was a conjoined conjoinment with everything around me as if there was truly this, I, 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 this red thread that was running through everything. But what was, what was even more lovely, My um, equally lovely, differently lovely, is that once um, the bell rang, that experience of conjoinment with all stayed it just stayed with me. It was just so amazing. So when I walked into, into sewing practice, I was still carrying that. And Kim asked me, how are you? And I said, I'm here. But it was, anyway, it was so lovely. And I don't know what to call it. I don't have a construct to call it. I just know that um, that is... An experience I've had of knowing absolute connection with everything and the timelessness of all things.
0: Do you think that's similar to when he talks about, when Doga talks about, he didn't cut the cat in two, he cut cut it in one?
2: There is no two.
0: So he saved the cat. I'm imagining all of us being attached to the earth with tethers and that when we die this tether is cut and we become one with 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 all, everything
2: well, so my experience was the tethers are never cut to anything on a time-space continuum ever it, even though the physical appearance might Uh, transform, those tethers are always there.
0: To me, me, the tether keeps us separate.
2: But there is no, there are not, not two. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. So I'm such, I'm such a baby practitioner that I, I, I just, you know what? I know that I don't know sometimes.
0: So here's what I'd really like to do. If you guys have a little stamina and that is to read this thing about, it's called Encounter Dialogues and Their Origins. And it's something uh, we've been reading in a council, it's from a book, Circle of the Way, about koans. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: and I'm not gonna be able to meet again for two weeks because I'm gonna be traveling. So then when we come back, we could do Dogen. But would this be okay? I think you'll really like this.
5: Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to go. um, Okay. um, I I wanted to just say one thing. Sure. Uh, sometimes when I'm sitting with um, with Kennedy in the morning um, and on Zoom, and about 20 minutes into a half hour sit, all of a sudden you hear this moo. <laughs> he
1: does. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's easy
0: and is your sit for 30 minutes long because i remember him saying yes. sits never ne- have to, never it's not adv- advantageous to go over 25
5: yeah well with moo i guess like <laughs> wake everybody up
0: 5 minutes of moo okay so here is here's here's this uh piece thanks for coming Kathy.
5: Oh, i'm glad i did thank you
0: We all love this so much. And I thought it it explains about, um, well, we'll just read. So (laughs) who's next? Who read last? Nancy. So uh, Nelda.
2: Well, I talk so much. Can we pass to the next person and hear another voice?
0: Sure. That's Kim encounter dialogues and their origins the scholar john mcrae was the one who coined the term encounter dialogue to describe Gonggan, or the style of dialogue that develops in the song dynasty zen although there are exceptions the standard encounter dialogue <coughs> as defined by mcrae involves a brief exchange of words between a monk and a known teacher usually of the tang dynasty No context is given for the exchange, but to most readers, the dialogues are nonsensical. Scholars often call the dialogues iconoclastic, although I'm not sure that's the right word. Usually, the dialogues don't (coughs) attack conventional thinking as much as ignore it. Uh, So I think... uh, (laughs) Elizabeth's
1: next. Yes. For example, here's a well known one, preserved as case thirty-eight in most translations of the gateless barrier. A monk asked Master Zazu, why did Buddha Dharma come from the west? Sazu said, The oak tree is in the garden.
0: The oak tree in the garden.
1: Oh, the oak tree in the garden, sorry. That's as much as I can see. Um, Note that it's a cypress tree in some translations. What's going on here? And how did this style of dialogue develop?
4: Victor Sogan Hori, as a priest and professor of the McGill School of Religious Studies makes a strong case that this dialogue style arose from popular Chinese literary games, literary games. Part of the fun of the games was the use of allusion, speaking of something without mentioning it directly, to confound the other players, confound the other players. And part of the skill of a good player was the ability to recognize recognize the hidden meaning, of the other person's illusion, and by turning the spur around, thrust back using a similar illusion with some other hidden meaning, writes Zogen Hori.
0: I, I love this idea that the koans came from, from a game that was played. Uh, Nancy.
3: Uh, I hate the fact that it's a game being played (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because I I think that communication is difficult enough as it is, even when you're trying to be straightforward. Um, Cohen after Cohen, is that word this is? Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Cohen after Cohen, thank you, depicts one Zen monk testing the clarity of another's insight through the skillful use of illusion. The monks fiercely compete with one another, not in the language of philosophical discourse, but in poetic references to coming from the West. Three pounds of flax, wash your bowl, and the cy- cypress tree in the front garden. Mastery of the elusive language of Zen is taken as one of its marks of authority.
0: Nelda.
2: I can't see anything to read.
0: This also explains. Can you see that? No. Oh. Um I don't know if I move it. Now can you see it?
2: No. Okay there. This also explains why the collections of dialogues were popular among the song literati. And frankly, their popularity among the uh, song literati, literati, no doubt encouraged song teachers to collect and publish them.
0: Um, can you can you read the next line?
2: I can read the next two lines. Oh, good. OK, OK. Let's see, or maybe I can't, no, I can only see one, Kim, now. In his
0: book, Tibetan Zen, about a school of Zen that flourished for a while in Tibet in the 8th century, the historian Sam Van Shiak also had some ideas about, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Counter-encounter uh, dialogues. Van shock bases his book on texts found in the Dunghang Library Cave. So this is a great cave around 900 A.D. where all these religious records were were um, covered up, saved, and not just for Buddhism, but for many religions. And and it wasn't until the 19th century that they They uncovered this cave and found all this stuff, and neither the Patriarch's Hall Anthology, the Jing Lank Record, nor any other text containing Zen encounter dialogues were found there. The cave probably was sealed about the same time the Jing Lank Record was being compiled. Yet, Van Shok does find Zen question and answer liturgies that took the form of staged conversations such as the following the preceptor asks what do you see (coughs) answer i do not see a single thing question when viewing what things do you view answer viewing no thing is viewed and so now um so yes there's
3: two things not a single thing but two things
0: Anyone want to try to answer that?
1: Yeah, I'm interested in your,
0: your comment from please. before, Nancy, about how, uh, well, you don't like this idea of um, it's so hard to just communicate in a straight way. Because to me, they're trying to take it further, but also like, uh, Initially, your reaction is going to be confusion, as yours was, and mine is.
2: May I take a
1: stab
2: stab at it? The first two lines reminded me of um, that the proper thing to say to a child when they ask, what is that, and it is a rose, to say, we call that a rose, not to say it is a rose, because we really don't know what it is but that's what we call it in in the conventional world. So when the preceptor asks, what do you see? The answer is, I don't see a single thing because I really don't know the essence of anything to which we give names. And so his answer is quite accurate. I really don't see a single thing because I really don't know its, its essence, what it really is. I only know what we call it. The second question is, for me, is a little more challenging, but, but I tie it to my first answer. When viewing, what things do you view? And the answer is, viewing no thing is viewed. And again, because we don't truly know what things truly are, how can we say we have viewed anything? Did that make sense to anybody? It sure makes sense to me, but
0: sometimes we say no thing
2: no thing
1: -hmm. instead of nothing
2: Mm
1: -hmm. that makes a big difference no thing as opposed to nothing
2: so nancy i may see you on the screen and in this very brief time think i have a concept of who nancy is but i really don't see all of you not not all of you and so even in viewing you how can i have viewed you when I don't see all of you in your richness and complexity.
3: I think we're agreeing with each other. <laughs> and I think Kim I'm I'm taking your point. If you're a little obscure, you can get a lot of different meanings out of it.
0: <laughs> Thank you all. Okay. Who's reading next?
1: Did did you read last, Kim?
0: I think so.
1: Okay, then, it, then it's me. Von Scheich also points out that Diamond Sutra, which is written in the form of a conversation between Buddha and his disciple Subhuti, might be the ultimate encounter dialogue. This dialogue is a dance between relative and absolute, in which various phenomena, including the Dharma itself, are reverently praised and then said not to exist. Our Song Dynasty Zen Monastics. Monastics surely had studied the Diamond Sutra backward and forward. I
4: also could nominate the Oxhead School's
0: Treatise.
4: treatise treatise, on Extinguishing Cognition as a for... Uh, how do you pronounce it? For...
0: Forerunner. Forerunner.
4: I can't. Altered <laughs> Dialogue four. Style. I also could nominate the... Accent. I don't understand that sentence. Might um, well
0: just saying that this this is another term for the encounter dialogue style, the treatise on a extinguishing cognition. Cognition is what we know.
4: <clears throat> Thank you. You might remember that the text is written in the dialogue between Master and Transeinto principal and his student.
0: Conditionality.
4: Often, instead of answering answering conditionalities question, master enters into principal points out of the false assumptions behind the questions.
0: And then Nancy, the difference in
3: the? I was writing down that name, Conditionality. I think that'd make a good username on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> The difference in the later encounter dialogues is that the master doesn't bother to point out the false assumptions. (laughs) Instead, he might respond to the question the student should have asked or keep silent and give the student a smack with his whisk. If the student's question assumes conventional thinking, the teacher's response may reflect the absolute. If the student asks about the absolute, the teacher may point to the conventional. Let's go back to the Zazu's Oak or Cypress tree in the garden. The question was, why did Bodihama come from the West? This was a common question it seems in the Jingle Lamp record we find. A monk asked Master Dogen, what is the meaning of the patriarchs coming from the West? On the mountains, there are carp on the seabed raspberries grow, Dogen said. And again, a monk asked, what is the meaning of the patriarchs coming from the West? <laughs> Your question is not appropriate, said Dogen. Why is it not appropriate, asked the monk. Wait <laughs> until wait until I'm dead and I will <laughs> explain it to you, said Dogen. Guess how I feel about that.
0: Okay, and now the
2: For the record, Jingshan Duakuin was a master of the Oxhead School, although knowing that probably won't help you understand the dialogues. There are several other examples of teachers answering the same question in several other ways, but these will do as examples.
0: You read another paragraph.
2: Okay. The conventional answer to the question, of course, would have been, Bodhidharma came from the West to teach the Dharma, but how dead is that? It conveys nothing but concepts. It isn't real. The skillful answers are, in one way or another, directly expressing reality instead of simply providing a concept At the very least, they confound a mere intellectual understanding of the dharma.
0: Also considering the question, why did bodhidharma come from the West, or what is the meaning of it? The question itself might suggest the student is looking for some big secret sparkly thing out there that will unlock a mystery. But that's looking in the wrong direction. The teachers might have turned the question around and asked, why are you here? Ultimately, it's the same question. In various ways, these dialogues nudge us to let go of conventional thinking. In countless Dharma talks on the oak tree in the garden, Zen teachers (coughs) through the centuries have pointed to the reality of the oak tree. Don't look for secret sparkly things, they say. There's nothing more than this oak tree right here that just this is it but of so of course the suchness of an oak tree is the entire cosmos okay and
1: hopefully we, the, oh you have to move uh, it up I can't move
0: oh. it up a problem hmm. um I can uh. make it smaller maybe let's see what happens if I do this
3: Melissa could you do uh-huh. control, could you do control or whoever's reading could you do control minus on your computer and make
1: yours smaller I don't think so because I don't have the whole
4: I can read no. I can see those lines and then okay Melissa I think
1: hopefully. I can I can probably I think the way he did it, I can probably see it now but now I'm trying to find the spot hopefully ah uh, Hopefully, this background helps clarify the nature of the encounter dialogues, but the question remains: Where do these stories come from? My impression, as a writer, and that's as, that's all I can see. If not oh, as a bottom.
0: You just... if not as a scholar, is the Song Dynasty record oh. compilers probably were not yeah. inventing dialogues out of the whole cloth or at least they weren't doing that most of the time.
1: Yeah, I can see it now. I can see the whole page. Um, We know that much note-taking was going on during the Tang Dynasty, even when students were told not to take notes. It said one enterprising monk made robes from paper to enable clandestine scribbling during sermons. It's from... The monastics notes that we have at least a few contemporary records of the Tang masters Hans Gobo, Zen Zai Yen, and Baizong Haoye. I'm terrible. In places, uh, the jungle lamp record gives us the impression of a dumpster full of random pages bits of commentary, sermons and poems, as well as scraps of dialogues that someone carefully retrieved, uncrinkled, organized, and pasted into a scrapbook.
4: I also suspect that the compilers of the transmission of the lamp genre were not about pulling a pointer or a phrase out of an older document and building an anecdote. Anecdote. Anecdote around it. Occasionally you might notice that an anecdote about Master X is basically a tweaking of one about Master Y. Some of the stories might be based on monastic legends and folk tales about the old masters
0: okay well we should probably stop here but i'm going to write down where we are and we'll resume on um the 23rd i think so it's 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 um i also suspect that the compilers I like this idea that, it, that this was a game before even the koans and also that, um, but I, have, I was lucky I had a father who always spoke in koans and any question you would answer, he would take it somewhere else. So I kind of grew up with this. So that's part of my affinity for it. And then, um, you know, sometimes we are bored. I mean, like it said in the what we were reading, there's nothing more boring if, you you know, someone says, is that your car? And you say yes. And in, in when you're doing improv, I talked about this last week, you know, that would be the end of the whole, people would be walking out if you answer a question, yes or no. It's just, yeah. you have to keep things alive.
2: I also like the playfulness of it that I'm now understanding between student and teacher and the loving nature too the this last one about the cat I now see the playfulness it reminded me of any number of scenes you can see in a ballet Where the young girl and the young boy meet in the garden and she dances off to the left and he follows and she turns around and dances to the right. There's just such a playfulness in that. And I'm now seeing it
0: here. Yeah. How do you feel when you're watching a movie and you know exactly what's going to happen? I mean, are you you disappointed in a way?
2: Oh, well, that happens Mm -hmm. a lot with Hollywood movies, but I don't see many movies anymore
0: what i liked about beethoven was and i don't know why i i saw this in beethoven but what he would do would be the next the next whatever part of the music would be right but it wouldn't be predictable
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and how you balance that is because if it's if it's just predictable then it's not interesting you know and if it's way off, then it's just chaos, but he he seemed to be able to do that.
4: I was just wondering why some cons hits us and why some does not, you know, Mm -hmm. probably um, I was uh, thinking also about poetry, like you relate to some poems and some others does not ring any bell was well, just same with
0: people, to... right some people touch you and some don't mm-hmm. but maybe just it's a timing thing yeah you know at another point or some paintings mm-hmm. do or don't yeah okay
2: mm, thank you
1: thank you thank you
2: Good night. I thought this was wonderful tonight. Thank you all. Thank you. Good night.